Awesome. Now let's get into God's Word. Would that be good? Okay, so one of the things in preparation for this week I was struck by as we turn into the, uh, today's chapter uh, was that uh, the world has been corrupt for a while. I don't know if you've noticed that, but um, the world's kind of corrupt, right? I, it, I don't know if that bothers you, but for me, I, I profoundly uh, troubles me at times. Like, I look at how the... the the way that the world is, is supposed to operate and the world that it act, the way that it actually operates and the difference between the two I find painful, right? Especially when we see corruption in high-level things, right? In the government or in big companies or place people with great trust and when they don't use that well and they use it for selfish purposes, it just, it, it really grates on me. But there's another thing too is that you look at this world and it seems like sometimes corrupt people prosper, Right? Doesn't you see that? Doesn't it bother you that sometimes it seems like wicked people doing wicked things get good things in this world because they're wicked? It drives you nuts. And I think sometimes as Christians and we see this and there's a discontinuity, we see how bad people sometimes get good things and how the world, it seems like those that have a lot of power and authority, use it in the wrong way. They lord it over us and they abuse power for selfish reasons. It sometimes can be discouraging and defeating. Right? It sometimes could give us a bad attitude and, and make us uh, frustrated with the way, and it makes it hard to love this world sometimes. You know, today I hope that you leave encouraged. We'll see in the middle of, of God's Word, today's chapter, you'll see why integrity matters and why it is that we as Christians don't have to cut corners and why we don't. It's a great thing. So before I get to it today, today's chapter, though, of course, we have our Bible memory verse for the series. And so hopefully those of you who've been here through the summer going through the series, this memory verse is starting to stick, it's starting to apply. If you're new with us today, don't worry about it, it's not scary. All you got to do is just say it along with us a few times, and, and it's amazing how God's Word begins to stick into our hearts and our minds, and it becomes a filter and begins to change us. It's a powerful thing. So, um, so this is what we're going to do, just say it along with me a few times, and it'll be great. So, all right, so three, two, one. I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace, Acts 20, 24. Well, here's the deal. The Word of God is powerful. It changes us. And I've, through this series, been talking about how it's been working in my life, how God's been able to use this passage, especially in when I've, He's given me opportunity to be offended, and that happens a lot, right? You just kind of live in this world with other people. And, uh, but that's different than this week. I found this, I had a lousy week this week. You ever one of those lousy weeks where you're just like, I didn't enjoy it? That was this week. And the good thing about bad weeks is they remind you that you also have good weeks, right? We're in the valley, you can look up and say, hey, there's a peak there, right? So bad weeks lead to other things. But sometimes we're in the da- valley, what we want to do, at least me, is we want to testify to the miserableness of my day. This passage powerfully pulled me from the valley. Because it reminds me that there's a task, there's a reason I'm on this earth, and it's not to be comfortable, right? I'm not here, this isn't forever. God's given me a task, and there's a testimony that I do need to have. And it's not about just how good or bad my life is. It's way bigger than that. I'm supposed to testify to the good news of God's grace. And that means that uh, this week, when I wanted to make the focus on me and throw that little pity party, I got to throw away those little party hats. And I got to pick up my, my, my sword and, and uh, my shield, and I got to go back, and I got to go out and, and do and live a life of value, to live a life of val- a purpose. There's power in God's Word. 
it was a transformative kind of thing, right? And, and good weeks are coming, right? And when those good weeks come, it's good to remind that I'm supposed to testify to good news in, in that week. But I'll tell you, the power of God's word is when we begin to know it and apply it. And so hopefully if you've been here and you've been memorizing every week, you've been tattooing that passage, the power of, of God's word into your heart, that it's been changing you, transforming you, just like it's been transforming me. And I want to continue to continue to encourage you to continue that. But if you haven't, if you haven't taken the opportunity, or maybe you're new with us, and you haven't had an opportunity to begin applying God's word and memorizing, I would say, I encourage you, start today. In order to help you with that on our connection cards, you'll notice that there is a, uh, there's a little card that's perforated. It's right on the top there. It's a business-sized card because you do business with God. That's what he does, right? And you pull that off. I encourage you to put it in your pocket, your wallet, tape it to the back of your phone, or wherever you're going to see it, right? And use this as a reminder of God's word and, and repeat it over to yourself and apply it to your day. It's, it's powerful stuff So, to do that. Okay, now let's get into the word uh, now that we've memorized some of it. We are in Acts chapter 24 today. So uh, if uh, you have your Bibles, want to open them there. If uh, you want to use one of our Bibles, it's going to be on page 778. If you forgot your Bible today, don't worry about it. We're at church. We've got lots of them. They're over there by the sound booth in a um, little bookshelf there. You can help yourself to one of those. And if you need a Bible, please keep it. It'll be our gift to you. All right, so as we go into chapter 24, as you're turning there, let me just put you in context. It comes after chapter 23. That's how the Bible works. Most books do, right? In chapter 23, we see the apostle Paul is being transferred down to Caesarea, right, which was the Roman kind of capital area. It's on the, it's on the seaport. Uh, and the reason he was transferred there is that he was being held for trial. And he was in Jerusalem being held for trial, uh, and there was a plot to kill him by some members of the Sanhedrin, right? The high priests and, and the Sadducees, a sect that was there, they didn't like the way that justice was being done, that they couldn't kill Paul through their own laws. So they, they created this scheming plan to get Paul transferred through the streets of Jerusalem, and they were going to kill him on the streets because that's how justice works, right? So then uh, the Basically, the police chief of Jerusalem finds out about this and says, uh-uh, it's not going to happen under my watch, sends Paul down to Caesarea, where is the, the center of the Roman power, right? And he's going to be tried under a Roman governor named Felix. And that is where we really see today as we see the trial, Paul's trial before Felix. That's, there you go. So uh, that's where we're at. And we're going to pick up the story right there. I'm going to start reading in uh, verse Number one, which is a great place to start. It says, five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and the lawyer named Petulius, and they brought, with, uh, they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. When Paul was called in, Tertullius presented his case before Felix. It says, we have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this with profound gratitude. But in order that you not weary you any further, we should request that you be kind enough to uh, hear us briefly. I'm going to stop right there just for a moment. Felix was a bozo, and the Jews hated him, all of them. And this guy, is the, this lawyer, knows that. But he's given the, this governor false praise. Uh, Felix did not bring about peace in a good way. Felix was a slave. Uh, that uh, was set free. He was a freedman and was pointed to political position. Uh, the uh, Roman uh, historian uh, Tacitus writes about him, said he was a guy with a slave's mind and the power of a king. That kind of lets you know about him. Tertullius was, was known for his corruption, 
He took bribes all of the time. He twisted the rules about whatever got to Tullius or got to Felix, whatever he wanted. That's what he was about. He was a bad dude. In fact, Felix's horrible rule is what led up to set the political climate for the Roman Jewish wars that happened just a decade later, right? It's because of how lousy he did a job. And so when it says you brought about many reforms, it was kind of tongue in cheek. You mess up, dude, right? We all know it. But this lawyer is giving false praise and flattery, right? Because he thinks it's going to, you know, make his case better. Right, so that he starts that way, and then because he can't think of any other false things to say about him, he's like, so we don't bother you any longer with how great and awesome you are. Let's just get to the charges. So he does. And there are three charges that he brings against Paul. Right? And so we get that, that next. And so verse 5, it says, We have found this man, Paul, to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots amongst the Jews all over the world. Right? He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect, and he even tried to desecrate the temple so we seized him. Three charges. The first one, Paul is a troublemaker. He is against Roman law, Roman peace, right? Pax Romana was important. Romans was supposed to be known for their law and just their uh, blind justice and, and the fact that there was going to be civil peace wherever they went. And, they, and their first charge is Paul, wherever he's at, brings about civil disturbances, right? The second one is that Paul was extremist, that he was part of an extremist religious sect. And while that is not against Roman law, it certainly does impugn his character, right? And it's easy to deny justice against somebody that you feel is less worthy of justice. And that's where he's going there, saying his religious sect is bad. And the third charge is this, that Paul defiled the temple, right? He brought a Gentile into the temple mount, which was the real charge why Paul was arrested. Why is that important? Well, the Romans had some pretty strict rules about law, about uh, how regional people were able to... Uh, rule their own people, right? And so most of the time when Romans came in, they said your regional laws no longer apply. It's Roman law, especially for a Roman citizen like Paul. And so therefore, uh, you couldn't enact capital crime, capital punishment against a Roman citizen unless they were found guilty in a Roman court. Now, these guys know that Paul didn't break any Roman laws. And so... What they want to do is they want to get Paul outside of the Roman court. Now, there was one exception for the Jewish people to that overarching rule that the Jewish people couldn't enact capital punishment, and that was this. If a Gentile walked into the Temple Mount area, then the Jewish people could execute that person, even if they were a Roman citizen. And if a Jew knowingly brought a Gentile into the Temple Mount area, the Jewish people could execute that Jewish person without going through Roman law. And so what they wanted to do, this charge was, they're saying to Felix, the Romans gave us the power to kill Paul. Even if he only violated one of our religious laws, he violated the one religious law that we can kill him. That's why this was so important. So those are the three charges that they have against Paul. And then he basically says, the, the lawyer says, uh, you know, it, by examining him yourself, you'll be able to learn the truth about his charges that we're bringing against him, which was absolutely stupid, right? Th this is the best of the best of the lawyers, right, for, for the Jewish people, right? This is the guy that represents the high priest. This is the best. And his defense is, he's done these three things. We don't have any evidence to bring before you, so you just cross-examine the, 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 the defendant, and you can find him guilty for us. That's a really lousy case. That's pretty thin, right? If the prosecution goes to court and says, this guy broke all of these laws, 
Ask him. He'll tell you. That's been what he did. That's a horrible defense. And I think maybe God was at work on that because I have a hard time believing that this lawyer would be that dumb. But he was. All right. So then Paul gets up and he gets to give his defense. Right? So the, the prosecution rests. Paul gets up. And verse 10, um, it says, Paul explained, I know that for a number of years you have been the judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. Compare that to what Tertullius had to say about Felix. Paul was still honoring, wasn't he? He spoke with honor. He didn't say, hey, bozo, how about I just pay you off right now? We all know you're corrupt. He didn't do that. He didn't say, this is a kangaroo court. I don't have to give my, I'm not going to call you your honor. You're not the last thing as you are. You're not honorable. He didn't do any of that. He said, you have judged this land for a number of years. That's true. Right? And I'm grateful that you're giving me the opportunity to make my defense. You know, he was able to speak to the authorities without violating his own conscience, without saying things that weren't true. He's able to offer honor in a good way, right? And he had to camp on it. I think Paul shows us in a way that we live in a world with corrupt leaders. You can still show them honor without giving them false flattery. How cool is that? So Paul then goes on to make his defense. He says, uh, you can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago, I went to Jerusalem to worship. So he points to evidence, says, yep, it was there. Everyone will say I was there. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd at the synagogues or anywhere in the city. He refutes the very first thing, that Paul is an agitator. Paul's like, I was there in the temple. Everybody knows it. And no one can find any evidence that I was stirring up crowds. Now, here's the reality. Wherever Paul went, there were crowds, typically mobs that tried to kill him, right? Paul never was the instigator of riots. He was usually the victim of riots, Paul would go and preach truth, and then people who didn't like that, Paul never would say anything mean. He would always say, God loves you, right? That there's grace for you. Paul preached truth and love, and yet there was a great uh, resistance usually against him. And so if they went to those cities and said, were there riots when Paul was here? They'd say, yes. Was Paul the one who caused the riots? No. In fact, the rioters were the ones that were illegal. But of course, the, uh, the prosecution didn't want to add those facts. But Paul says, look at my, my character right? Go, was I asking anyone to beat me up whilst I was at the temple? Was I there causing any trouble? Now, he was just there doing his, his religious duty. That's all he was doing. So his first defense is, I'm not an agitator, right? Nothing in my character, nothing in my actions shows I'm an agitator. I'm not a, a threat to the peace of Rome. Okay, the second charge, verse 14, he goes in there and uh, it says, however, I admit that I worship our ancestors as a follower of the way. That was the first one of the early ways of saying I'm Christian, okay? I'm not part of this extremist sect. I am a follower of the way, and look how he says, which they call a sect. I believe everything in accordance with the laws written in the prophets. He's like, we're not different. I'm not believing this whole crazy new religion, right? This is the fulfillment of our religion. And he says, and I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there is a resurrection, there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked, so I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. Like I'm not some kind of crazy loon. Right? But oftentimes, uh, corrupt people will try to impugn your character. Say, you're part of something crazy. Don't listen to them. That's a crazy person. And Paul's like, listen, I'm believing the orthodox belief that's been around for thousands of years. Right? And I, I'm a follower of the way, which, by the way, was a very well-known sect at the time. There were more Christians, followers of the way in Jerusalem at the time than there were Pharisees. 
That's why uh, we have Jesus' brother was, uh, had so much influence and why his execution uh, about 10 years later was such a big deal right before the, uh, the uh, Romans and the Jews went to war. Isn't that crazy? Like, this was not some fringe, weird belief. Jesus came. He showed up very publicly in Jerusalem, was killed very publicly, was buried very publicly, was resurrected very publicly. And the followers of Jesus very publicly testified to that and pointed very publicly to an empty grave, which is why so many people in Jerusalem became Christians followers of the way. They got to know that the Messiah came. They were test- They sought to see his miracles. They got to see his death. They got to see his resurrection. They heard his teaching. They knew exactly who he was. And Paul said, he testifies to this. He said, this is not some crazy fringe thing. It wasn't in a corner. And yeah, I follow it. And so he's like, what are you going to do with that, Felix? Because it's not against the law even in the Roman thing, to be a follower of the way. He says, and don't you dare try to impute my character because I associate with the Messiah. I believe the orthodox belief that has always been around. All right, so the third thing that he makes his defense, he goes on from that, and he says, um, and after my absence for several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts for the poor to present offerings. Did that sound like a guy who hates Jerusalem and Ju- Judaism? who's going to come there and is going to do awful things. No, he's bringing gifts from around the world to help out his own people. Does it sound like an irreligious man who's going to, I don't know, desecrate the temple? He says, uh, I was ceremonially clean when they found me at the temple courts. If I was planning on bringing Gentiles in and defying the temple, why would I be ceremonially clean? Why would I even bother? He's pointing me, he's like, listen, there's no evidence anywhere that I would do this crime. I'm not the kind of person that would even do this crime. And when I was found, I was in the act of doing something very good. And so he offers his defense. He says, there was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. Right? I didn't even have anybody with me to bring in to defile the temple. He was just going to pay the, the fines or the, the fees for other Jewish Christians to fulfill their vows. That was it. Right? And then he goes on and he gives his defense. He says, but there are some Jews in the province of Asia that ought to be here. Those are the ones who say that, that I don't have a legitimate faith. And they're not here, right? Because they could testify what I did over there in Asia, right? They're the ones who came and, and jumped to conclusions and said Paul did these awful things, even though he didn't. But they weren't even there. And he's like, this, there's no evidence. And the people who made the charges against me aren't even here. And then he says, uh, there's no charge against me, verse 21, unless it's this one thing that I shouted as I stood in their presence. It's concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial for you today. Paul says, I'm not here for any of these charges they brought up. The real reason I'm here is because I follow a risen Savior. That's why I'm here. And Paul points to the, the, the real persecution, the real corruption that was that he takes the opportunity. But notice how he does it. He does it with respect, right? And he does it rationally, but he also does it very, very clearly. And then it says, verse 22, Felix, who is well acquainted with the way, Christianity wasn't this fringe little sect. It was big. He knew about it. He adjourned the proceedings, and he says, when Lysias, the commander, comes, I will decide your case. That's what he promises. And he wants to hear from the, the police chief, basically, and say, well, one side, and he's going to hear the case. So you would think, okay, trial went pretty good. Charges were made. There was no evidence. Paul refutes all the charges, says there's no evidence. And then Felix goes and says, all right, well, I'm going to listen to the commander. The commander, we already had a copy of his letter, the last chapter. He basically says, I can find no charge against this guy. He's a Roman citizen. He didn't do anything. That's why I sent him to you right? 
And so Paul should have been declared not guilty, right? Set free. That's what a non-corrupt court would do, would say, you have been charged with these crimes. There's no evidence you committed the crimes. In fact, all the evidence points to the opposite direction. And even the people who arrested you testified that the guy didn't do the crimes. You would say a good court, a good judge would say, not guilty. Paul gets to go on his way. But that's not what happened. Right? Verse uh, 22, uh, we, uh, we see exactly how much the corruption goes in there. It says, when Felix, who is well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings, uh, it says, when Lysias comes, uh, I already read that. It says, several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about his faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I'll send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe uh, and so we sent for him frequently and talked with him. Felix keeps Paul in prison for two years. Felix knows that Paul is innocent. He keeps him there because Paul refuses to pay, to pay this guy off. He's there just kind of like, I imagine the hinting got pretty strong after a while. But just say, uh, you know, brings him in often and says to Paul, you know, we know you're innocent, but you know, we have to, a little, little something, something might help uh, grease the wheels of this bureaucracy. We could probably get you out pretty soon. See, Paul was in a corrupt, he was being held by corruption. In a wrong way, in violation of Roman law. What Felix was doing was a really bad thing. And how easy would it have been for Paul to just play the game? I remember, this is one of the greatest evangelist missionaries in the history of the world. One of the greatest minds of all time, locked away in a palace with a corrupt madman. Right? Imagine that it would be easy for Paul. He could have raised the funds to pay off Felix, no problem. He's good at raising money, right? He raised funds all over Asia to send money back to Jerusalem. That was not an easy thing to do. And he's able to make a big gift. Paul had a lot of friends. The church are typically pretty generous people. And they would love to see their brother out. I imagine if Paul just said the word, hey, you know, we try to do it through the courts. We try to do it the right way. It's a corrupt world. We know the way it is. Let's be as, as uh, what was it, uh, as wise as serpents. Let's be wise as serpents in this. We don't have to be as innocent as doves right now because the world is that way. Let's be wise as serpents. Let's just pay him off and get me out of here. Because the gospel is stuck right here. How easy would it have been for Paul to justify that? To say, well, is this the way the world works? Let's just pay the guy a bribe. How simple, how easy would it have been for the church to justify it? To say, well, it's a corruption of the laws. It's a corruption of the government, but it's just the way that it is. And Felix is a corrupt guy anyway. It's how he treats everyone. We're not going to change anything. All we're doing is we're keeping Paul locked away. Let's just take an offering and get the guy out of there. How simple would it have been? But Paul didn't bend for two years. And instead, you don't see Paul begging for his his release. You don't see Paul standing up, I demand my rights. He knew he wasn't getting his rights. What does Paul do while he's in there as Felix, you know, day after day, month after month, year after year, brings Paul in? What does Paul have to say to him? Well, he says that Paul spoke about, verse 25, righteousness, self-control, and judgment. Well, it's not a fitting message. Felix, there is such a thing known as righteousness. I mean, there's a right way of living, and you're not living right, Felix. Right? And there's this thing called justice, and it comes more than just from you. 
Because there's judgment. That God is real, Felix. And you are sin, and what you're doing is you're abusing power. You're going to stand before the judge of all judges. He showed up. The Romans killed him, and he came back. You're not going to have much power over when he shows up, Felix. You better turn now, Felix. Paul spends two years instead of, instead of begging for his release, instead of you know, saying, Felix, be nice to me, let me go. No. He preaches the truth and love to this man who was abusing his power. And Paul's message didn't change. And he didn't bend. And he didn't take the easy route or the shortcut. He didn't offer any kind of money. He stayed there and he trusted God. And isn't it amazing that for those two years that Paul was protected by the corruption of Felix? Because if Felix was a righteous judge and let Paul out on the street, there were 40 men who were wanting to assassinate Paul, willing to give their lives to kill Paul at any moment. If Paul was set free, if it wasn't for Felix's corruption, the greatest evangelist in history would have been murdered on the streets. That God was even able to use the corruption of Felix to propel his kingdom. How amazing is that? Paul wouldn't have known that. All he knew is there was the right thing to do, and he was doing the right thing. That's pretty amazing. Now I read this chapter, and it encourages me. Because we're called to a different way of living, right, as Christians? That we're supposed to have integrity? And I want you to take, there's three things that, that today we're going to talk about why integrity matters. And I'm going to talk about how do we apply it. First thing we understand, integrity matters for us as Christians because integrity is protective. I think it's no uh, ex- uh, 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 accident that in Scripture with, with Paul describes the, uh, the, uh, what they call the, the full armor of God in Ephesians 6. This is how we're supposed to armor up. Righteousness is a breastplate. It's your body armor. It protects us you know, from the body blows and the lethal shots of the rest of this world. Righteousness is a safety thing. It protects us. And it protected Paul here, didn't it? See, Paul's defense was, I didn't do anything wrong. Because he didn't do anything wrong. He didn't need a slick defense attorney to twist things, to make things look all nice and good. He could just point to his life and say, I didn't do anything. The thing was, is that Paul lived with a clear conscience because he lived consistency with consistency. Now, You'll say, Aaron, what is integrity? Right? It's important. We say integrity matters. What is it? Integrity is when your beliefs align with your words, your testimony, which also aligns with your actions, how you live. When all three of those are together, that's integrity. The level that those come together, what I believe to be true, what I say is true, and how I live. When all three of those are together, the level that those align is the level that I have integrity. And Paul believed that there is God. He believed that there is judgment. He believed there's right and wrong. He believed those things. And he testified to those things. Right? His life, he said, I'm a follower of Jesus, right? I'm going to follow this way. That I understand that there's a good and there's a bad. And he understands that there's a way to live. And so he not only said it, though, he lived it. Day after day, week after week, when nobody was watching, when Paul didn't even know it was going to matter. See, when Paul was in Ephesus and he did not retaliate against the mobs, Paul had a a huge following in Ephesus. And when the mobs came, Paul could have turned around and said, you know what, I've got a bigger crowd. You're being mean to me? Oh, they're going to come against you. Paul could have done that. He could have been an agitator really easy. When Paul was in Corinth and he saw the corruption of the Corinthians, right, and the whole system that was there and the botchery that happened there, Paul could have stood up and said, this place is awful. It's basically Sodom and Gomorrah. 
right? As he could have said, followers of the way, we need to burn this place down. He could have done that. And I imagine a lot of times as Paul was facing false charges, as Paul was being beat up literally and had rocks thrown at him, all those things, it had been really easy for him to take the easy way out and try to vindicate himself by using his power over the people that were there. But Paul didn't. Consistently preached truth and love and grace, acted with truth and love and grace. He suffered for righteousness. He did. He, can say that he said, God is sovereign. God is the judge. God takes care of me. That's what he believed in his heart. It's what he said with his word. But it's also how he lived. He didn't take things into his own hands. He gave them to God. Who would have known that 10, 15 years later, that that would be his defense that would keep him from being executed? You see, integrity is something that is not built in a day. It's, it's a lifestyle that we build ourselves into, Right? Paul had a lifestyle that became a defense for him. He had no skeletons in his closet. How important is that? Right? This is something we ought to understand for us as Christians, that when we walk with integrity, when we follow God's way, it's not about being legalistic and doing something so God will be nice to us or will be happy with us. It's for our good. How many Christians have been taken down by indiscretions? Right When they have chinks in their armor, they haven't practiced integrity in, in the quiet places. They haven't learned a lifestyle of integrity. So when the moment came for battle, they had uh, cracks in their armor. It does great damage to them and great damage to the faith. Understand that righteousness, integrity, is a protective thing. And it's not something you can just put on today. You've got to build that armor. We start putting it on every single day, just getting the habit of doing the right thing. Doing the right thing. Which is what allowed Paul then, in the moment when he was in prison and not being able to win or not to be able to lose that, uh, that battle in the heart and the mind, which would have allowed him to justify doing something wicked, paying a bribe, subverting the, even a corrupt judicial system. Allowed him to say it wasn't even a question for him. He knew what he was going to do. He was just going to trust God. God is in control. He's carried me this far. He didn't ask me to change my situation. He told me to follow him. That's what he said to do. He said, be faithful. Be faithful today. God says, I'll take care of your circumstances. You be faithful. And because Paul was in the habit of that, when the moment came, he was faithful. Integrity protects us from all kinds of things. We have to start there. The second lesson we learn from this is integrity is also testimony. It's our testimony. It's what we, we get to show the world. And one of the worst testimonies that you can provide as a Christian is to say, I believe, and you can actually do this, believe Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And say it with your lips. Jesus is my Lord and Savior, but that only actually practices as he's your Savior, but not your Lord. You say that there is God's grace that saves me from all kinds of things, so I'm going to use that as my get-out-of-trouble of card. I can live however I want to live because I'm saved by God's grace. So I believe God is sovereign, and I believe His ways are better than our ways and all that kind of stuff, but I don't live like that. When we lack integrity, what is, a, what is a testimony we're giving to the rest of this world? Our faith is religion. It's a joke. God's not really to be followed. We don't really have to respect Him. He doesn't really know what's best. God's laws are only there to, to, to keep me from having my fun. That's a horrible testimony. That's telling a lie about God. But Paul was able to point a test, his integrity with a testimony to, the, to Felix. There is something to be said for waiting two years and not giving a bribe, not taking the easy way out, 
and then continually testifying to Felix why that is. There is righteousness, there is justice, and there is judgment. And Paul's like, I know this is true. So Felix, I'm not going to play the corrupt game. God is in control, not you, Felix. And I'm going to wait. I'm going to do the right thing, even if it costs me. I will do the right thing consistently. That's a powerful testimony. I says, if we are in, in this world, people are watching us, aren't they? The world looks at, at us because we claim to be different. But if our lifestyle matches the rest of the world, how we do things and our beliefs and our values and our ethics are just a parrot of whatever is popular at the moment, what are we telling the world? We're not giving them anything of value. But if we actually believe that we were born again, really believe that, when I was baptized, when I came to faith, when I expressed my faith in Jesus, I have a new life. I'm a new person, not just in word, but in reality. I am born again as a child of God. I was his enemy. Now I'm his friend, right? I'm his family member, right? I'm a horrible sinner. And even today, even though I don't do great things and I still sin from time to time, it's not my identity anymore. I am a saint. I've got a sin issue, but God's working on that. But my core identity is different. I recognize that God is right. I'm a person that used to live under law, under shame when I did bad things and all that stuff. And now I'm a person that lives under love, under God's grace that carries me and accepts me even when I'm broken. When I believe those things and I can tell others about that without fear, God is real. His justice is real. Judgment is real. And I can talk about that. It's important. But if I stop there, then I've really messed up my testimony. The world doesn't need more loud Christians. It needs more loud Christians that live loudly in their faith. It's not with being annoying, but it's this. I'm going to do what's right, even if it's inconvenient for other people. I'm going to do what's right, even if it's inconvenient for me. I'm going to do what's right because it's right. Because I believe God is right and he's just and I can trust him. It means this. If I believe that I'm a new person, I live like a new person. If I believe I'm part of God's kingdom, I'm going to live like a person in his kingdom. It wasn't even Jesus. He, he taught his followers to pray, like, your kingdom come, your will be done. How I live that out is, is part of my testimony. How I live matters. I, I think also if I believe that I'm a person that lives under love, not law, I really believe that, that God has forgiven me and continues to forgive me and cares for me. And I need to be the kind of person that acts like a person that has been loved by loving other people. I need to act like a person that's been graced by, by going grace to other people. Right? Even those that don't deserve it, because I didn't deserve it. I act differently. And the difference in how we live matters. So for us as Christians, it's like for, for, uh, for husbands, how you love your wife is a testimony to your faith. Wives, how you honor your husbands is a testimony to the world of your faith. Children, how you obey your parents is a testimony of your faith. Parents, how you care and provide for your children is a testimony of your faith. Employers, Christian employers, how you care for your employees is a testimony to your faith. Employees, how you work every day as under the Lord, not just for the person that gives you your paycheck, is a testimony to your faith, to the world. How we live is how the world sees Christ. It's a testimony. So may our testimony be true to what we claim to believe, what we know to be true. Second, last thing here is this integrity is not just our testimony, but we understand that judgment day is real. Jesus is coming back. 
which is phenomenal news because the corrupt reign of humanity is going to end. Yes. Do you know in heaven there's not an election cycle? Isn't that fantastic? Aren't you ready for that? That's going to be amazing. Jesus is coming back. And I know that those of us in Christ, we we have this great sense of peace and anticipation and expectation because Jesus is coming back, right? And he is. Just as much as he came the first time as a baby, he's coming back. King of kings, Lord of lords, guys are going to split, there's going to be trumpets and all kinds of cool stuff. God's going to show up and he's going to put his house with us, right? His rule, no more corruption, right? No more bureaucracy and craziness. God's going to rule and he's coming back. It's real and it's coming. That's fantastic. But there's a sober portion to that. See, those of us in Christ, we recognize that we are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. When Jesus shows up, I'm not going to be counted guilty because of my sins. Praise God. That's awesome. But I think sometimes because we have that knowledge, we forget that there's also Jesus said, when he does show up, you're going to, there's going to be exit interviews. Because you're going to have to give an account for your life. Jesus didn't just show up so you could just live however you wanted to. He didn't give you new life so you could live in old dead ways. That's not why he did it. He'll still love you, right? It's like this. I've got an incredible kid, and I'll be his dad forever, right? I love him. But if he acts like a stinker, he's going to answer for it. I'm not going to kick him out of the family. I'm going to answer for it. And if he does really good things, he's going to be rewarded for it. There's a day of judgment for us. Paul even said that in his defense. He says, I know that both the living and the dead will be resurrected and we will face judgment. Our judgment is for our salvation. That we are saved by God's grace through faith. We're not guilty. Our sins have been paid for. But God's going to say, how did you use this life I gifted you with? Were you faithful? I gave you a task to complete. A task of testifying to the good news of my grace. How'd you do? And I'll tell you, when that day comes, it's a huge motivator for me. I want it to be a good report card. I know that it's not going to be an awesome report card because I know me, but it's getting better, right? I want to live my life in such a way that when Jesus shows up and he checks a look and he talks about my life, he says, well done, good, faithful servant, right? Into your master's glory. You're going to say this, you're going to look at my life and say, there's rewards for the good things you've done. They stood up. You did them for the right reasons. You did it the right way. You trusted me. I want those rewards. Jesus said, don't be a fool. Store those words up. You're going to want them at some point. Don't be like Jesus says. He said, do not be like this guy who makes it to heaven, like a guy who escapes his house at night when it's burning down. He's naked and has nothing. He says, you'll get there. You'll be safe. But you'll be naked and smoky. Don't be like that. Judgment day is real. We need to sober up. It's not about today. You can build your own kingdom here, and it's going to fall eventually. You can go to my office, one at a time, and on my wall, there's a history of the world. And my life's about that much of it, at the very end. History of the world. All these empires, all these people, all these personal tragedies and and triumphs and defeats and all those things. Empires rose and fall and all these other things. People don't make stuff that lasts, but God does. Here's the thing, in my life's got to live for something much bigger than my today. It's got to be so much more than just the here and now. I've got to trust God in, the, in, the, in the, the high times and the low times. I've got to trust God when things are going my way and when I'm facing corruption and suffering under corruption in this world because I know it's not forever. So I don't have to be all bent out of shape. I can just be 
at peace in the knowledge that my God is in control. And my God, just like with Paul, is with me, even if in the prison for two years, he's there. And my God just asks me to live with integrity. And I do that because I know that this, is, this world's going to end. Praise God, it's going to end. Yeah, judgment day's coming. And so let's look forward to it, live in such a way we look forward to it. And the last thing, how do we then, how do we apply this? Three things, action points for you today. The first one is this. I think we all need to commit to right living. Right living means living according to what God says is right, not what I say is right, because my morals are not God's morals sometimes. Sometimes they are. That's convenient. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes God tells me to do something that just doesn't make any sense to me. He says, pray for those who curse you. That doesn't seem right to me, but I do it. Right? Bless those that persecute you. <laughs> That's really hard. That is really hard. I had opportunity this week to do that. It was really hard, and I didn't bless at first. I cursed. And then I had to be like, ah. <sighs> Lord, bless them. <laughs> and usually I curse people under my breath in my car as I'm driving away. So as you have the curses happen, and the blessings too. God's ways are always going to be better than ours, and we have to commit to that. We have to say we have to really believe that he knows what's better. And not because he wants to control us into lousy ways of life, but he wants to let us live better ways. He wants to protect us. He wants to provide us a testimony, a way of living that's good. Why would we not commit to that? Because it's hard, that's why. Because we have to put ourselves down. We have to, we have to die to the flesh. We have to not do what we want to do so we could do what's better. But it's better. It takes a commitment. Right? A few months ago, well, that was a month ago, I talked to my doctor and he gave me some news that he said, you have to take a, uh, a diet. And that's like, might as well die. That's why the word die is in there. <laughs> right? It's really close to that. He's like, you're going you're gonna to have bad blood pressure, dude. Things aren't going well. <sighs> they didn't want to hear that. It was no fun. But the reality was it's true. And he says, you have to commit to living a different lifestyle. If you don't, bad things are going to happen. Now, he wasn't being mean to me when he told me that, although I wanted to punch him. But he was telling me truth, right? But the reality is just knowing that I have to live different isn't enough. I have to know how to live different. And he gave me a lousy plan. It's not fun, but I'm doing it. Not perfect, but I'm committed to it. And every day, I find opportunities to commit to it even more. If I could do that for my body, which I know it's a great body. I mean, we all admit, <laughs> right? But it's not going to be great forever. I can do it for that. How much more for my soul, for my spirit forever? Commit to it. Commit to the kingdom. Commit to following Christ. That's where we have to start. If you don't have commitment, then you're never going to make it. Because it's not always going to be easy. It's going to be hard. So I'm saying this. Commit. Commit to right living. Make a decision in your heart and your mind right now. I'm not going down dead paths anymore. I'm not allowing the devil to teach me to do something stupid so I get hurt. I'm not taking off my armor. I'm going to live a better way. I'm going to live a way of health and right. I'm committing to this. You have to have that line in the sand, and only you can draw it. So commit to right living. Second thing we've got to do is we've got to practice self-control. I don't have to control you. Isn't that great as a pastor? It's not my job. I don't have to control you. It's not my job. It's not your job to control me either. You know, I, I, love, I, I love to read history. I love history. 
And so I'm one of those nerds that reads historical books throughout time, how people wrote about things. And something that's interesting that, that I've noticed is that in the Christian age, right, that people, when they would do sinful things and they would write about it, oftentimes with remorse, they would say, the devil made me do it. And now that we live in the post-Christian age, people write things and say things when they go and they do stuff without remorse, but normally with pride in their sin. They say, the Lord made me this way. God made me this way. They blame God. We've got to stop blaming the devil and God and start taking responsibility for our own lives. There's a reason that God is going to ask an account for my life. It's because I'm in control of my life. I get to choose. You get to choose. We have to start, and the scripture says there is self-control. It's the fruit of the Spirit. God's going to help you with it. We have to start controlling this crazy, out-of-whack thing. This person. Start making them conform in my thoughts and my actions and how I live. I have the opportunity and the power to make my body, make my mind, make my spirit conform to the image of Christ. And only God then can form me into the image of Christ as I do that. But I have the responsibility to say, yes, Lord, and to take action. I had the opportunity to be obedient and let God transform me. We need to start taking action in ourselves, practice self-control. Right? And so in that, I want you to understand there's power in this. Isn't that good that you know that you are you're part of this? You're not a victim to your own self and your own sin. You might have sins in your life that are huge, that you hate, things about you that you hate about yourself, right, that really bother you. Do you know that God says in his word that he's there to help you, that God's word helps us conform to that? It says that you can ask for help, that God's Holy Spirit, the power of God that created the universe is also in you and is there to help you not only understand what is right, but to start living that way. And his grace covers you as you learn to walk in that new way, just like a parent's grace is there as their children learn to walk and fall down on their face all the time and they pick them back up. God's there to help you with that. The Holy Spirit's not a joke. He's powerful. But I have to commit and I have to start practicing it. Start practicing faithfulness. Start practicing self-control. But also, God didn't just give us a spirit. He gave us his body. That's the church. We have one another. That's why it says in the word... Confess your sins to one another. Why? There's no guilt. There's no shame. We're all messed up. We know that. But if I get it out there, I'm like, right? I need help. There's other people in the body of Christ who can help me. Give me accountability. Give me encouragement. Provide a community around me that's healthy. That's why we have each other. And I want you to know, he also provided for you guys a pastor and elders. We love you deeply. What we're called to do you need help you're struggling call us that's one of the things that we do why god has provided us to you so take responsibility and initiative for your own spiritual health right? i can't call every one of you up every single day and say are you going to be at church are you practicing these things all that stuff when you are ready to follow jesus you will follow jesus and there's so much help available for you here so i need to do that Practice self-control. Lastly, I think we need to just remember Christ's return. This world is, seems so real, doesn't it? Today seems so forever. I had a lousy week, and my week just seemed like it was never going to end because not fun times, ironically enough, I think it's part of the fall, pass so much slower than fun times. You know, you spend the day at the theme park, and it's like, wee, and it's done. You're like, what happened? I had a vacation, and it's gone. But then you have like a lousy day, and it's like, forever. Right? You ever had that? This world is weird, but it's temporary. And in order to remember that, we have to remind ourselves of the truth 
Christ's returning. Jesus is coming back. Right? This brokenness is about to end. The night is, is about to end. Jesus is going to come back with trumpets and a big party, and it'll be awesome. He's going to show up, and this is my hope. Right? My God is coming. God is coming. And all of the corruption, all the brokenness, and all of the death, and all the pain, and all the lousy thing going to end. So you can make it through today. You can make it through today because he's with you. Remember that he's coming back. He's not abandoning us. And how we live for the kingdom will matter. We're building something eternal. So live for those things. Remember his return. Remember when he comes. Yeah, there's going to be a little accountability. Remember that too. That helps sometimes. But remember it's also a blessing. But also remember this too, that we live in a world with a lot of folks who have no idea how much God loves them. They are so underprepared for Christ's return. And he says, while you're here, you have, a test, you have a job to do. Testify to his good news. Don't think your day is about just making money or just getting through the day. You are here for one reason. I'm going to testify to the good news of God's grace. So make your day valuable. Today we talked about a lot, right? Integrity is protected. We've got to hold on to that. Know that's true. We got to, integrity is our testimony. That how we live is how the world sees us. That judgment day is real, right? How we live matters. I mean, some accountability. Therefore, let's commit to right living, right? Therefore, let's practice self-control. Therefore, let's remember Christ's return. And so when he comes back, he can say, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's live in such a way, not counting our, our lives worth anything to us. All right, let's finish the race. Let's complete the task the Lord Jesus has given us. The task of testifying to you, the good news of God's grace. For you, there's some next steps that I want you to take. I'm going to challenge you to take. Right? Just like my doctor challenged me to start eating more vegetables. There's challenge I want you to take, and they're not always fun, but they're good, and they'll be value. And these are the next steps. You're going to say you're a follower of Jesus. Following Jesus means you're walking closer and closer to where he's, he's leading you, right? So here's some next steps I'm going to challenge you to take this week to grow in your faith, to, to, to apply what we learned today. So if you have your connection card, I want you to take it out. I want you to look on the back side of it. And the first next step you're going to have, I'm going to challenge you to take this week, is memorize Acts 20, 24. If you haven't memorized it yet, memorize it. Spend some time. I even gave you a nice tool for that. Do it. See the power of God's word in your life. You will be amazed. It is awesome. And it's not even a hard one. It's like really easy. But boy, as it applies to your life, it's a powerful thing. Or maybe this week, your, my, your next step is this, to get into God's word, to understand what he has to say. To know what is right living, right? You got to get into his word. And a great place to start is the passage I just preached on, because you know something about it. Right? But if you want to see how believers respond in a corrupt world, this is a great passage. How timely is that? Read chapter 24. It is not even a whole page. It's like a half a page. But it is powerful. So maybe that's where you start this week. Or maybe for you, as you say, you know what, I'm going to make this commitment. I'm going to repent. Repentance is just stopping living a, a dumb way and start living a good way that God tells us to, right? You say, I'm going, to practice, I'm going to practice repentance this week. I'm going to repent of. And I put a, a little, a short line there. I don't want to overwhelm you. I, if it was for me, if it was like a long line, I could probably go right on there. But this one thing, the Holy Spirit showing you, you know that there's something in your life that is out of whack with the way God told you to live. He wants you to live. And you've been holding on to it. Either you, you don't want to give it up or you're afraid to give it up. Have the faith to know that God is with you. That he, what he wants for you is far better than you could ever want for yourself. I'm going to challenge you to say, I'm going to repent. If you tell me what it is, I'll be praying with you this week as you go through that and as you begin to conquer old sins and as God begins to free you into a right way of living. That's going to be a powerful thing. Or maybe for you, it's, it's much broader than that. Maybe it's this is a commitment to act with integrity. You know what's right. You know what's true. You might, you're here. You're testifying to. You're saying it. Now, 
Begin to apply it more fully in your life, saying, God, I'm committing to this. I'm committing to living with integrity so that my beliefs and my testimony and my life will align even more and more and more. I'm not playing around with this anymore. That's you, let me know, because that's a big commitment, and I want to make sure that we are praying for you, and, and I would say there is a lot of support here at the church that we're here to help you if you make that commitment. Now, maybe you're here today, and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe they, what I say there doesn't make a, a lick of sense to you. Like, what does that even mean? I say this. Our God loves you so much. He's going to save you from a dead way of living for eternal and awesome things, but there's a lot to it. It's simple to become part of the kingdom, but it's important to, to understand it. So if this is you and you want to know more about how do I follow Jesus, on the other side there it says, I'd like more information about starting a relationship with Jesus. Let me know that's not a sales pitch. We're going to get together. We're going to talk it through. You're going to have questions. But I'll help you take those steps of faith so that you can experience the life-transforming, uh, uh, eternity-transforming way that God has called us to. I encourage you to make your commitments, whatever they are. Also, on your car, there's a place there to write down prayer requests. I pray for you every week. Our pastors pray for you. Our prayer team prays for you. Let us pray with you. If you tell us how to pray, we will. Write that down. And then here in a second, we're going to take our offering. As we take our offering, I would invite you to take your tithes and your check, put in that, that offering envelope, and then drop that in the basket along with this, your connection card, right? And make this an offering of your obedience back to God. Pretty good stuff. All right. Is it right if I pray for you and bless you before we have the worship band close us out? Okay, all right, good. We're all good with that. Let's do it. Heavenly Father, you are a mighty powerful God. You are King of kings, you're Lord of lords, and you're the Savior of sinners just like me. We're grateful that you came, that you didn't abandon us to ourselves and to our corruption. You didn't see how odious this world was and just walk away or start fresh. Instead, you came here, you took on our sins, you paid for them, and you overcame it all. And then you gave us the offer of eternal life with you simply by faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Wow! God, I pray this week that your Holy Spirit would fall afresh upon this congregation, empower us with an amazing anointing of your Spirit to live with integrity, to live in a way that's more aligned with the way that you live. Father, we invite your conviction in the areas of our life that, that we're not living right so that we can learn how to live in a better way, a safer way, a, a way that gives good testimony. Father, we invite your spirit not just to bring conviction, but also power and hope and the grace. Change us, transform us, and let us be good witnesses of yours in this community. Father, we make commitments today. Help us keep them in a way that honor you, that bring you the glory that's due you. Father, that shows the world the great joy that we have by being yours. Father, we also pray for the tithes and, and, the, and the gifts that we bring you today, a way to worship you even with our things. We ask that you would bless those and multiply them and use them to build your kingdom for your glory right here. We pray all of this in the wonderful name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen.